Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Waltrip here. You know, it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. This is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Hey, Hermie. How are you, sir? I'm good. Welcome back to Richmond. We are, we are back in Richmond. We are. We're back atop the skyscraper, the Stanley Law Group skyscraper, in the Stanley Law Group studios, in the Stanley Law Group conference room, overlooking beautiful downtown Richmond, the capital the Commonwealth of Virginia, back in our original studios where it all began. So why are you back in Richmond? Well, we're back at Richmond because we have this thing in the Constitution called a reconvene or veto session. So when we leave after our 60-day session, we come back 30 days later to take up any amendments that the governor may have made to any one of our bills and or to then consider overriding vetoes if he vetoed a bill. And he's done 25 of that, pretty prolific. That's for an opening governor. That's a pretty high number. And over 150 bills he's made, his administration has made amendments to. So tomorrow, starting at noon at the Capitol, we start to hash through those bills on the Senate and House side. We address each one of our bills, the Senate side's bills. We send those over to the House. They either approve or disapprove of the amendments, if we approve them. And on vetoes, uh, we try to override vetoes. But it's never really happened in the Commonwealth of Virginia where a governor's veto has been overridden. I don't expect it to be overridden. Uh, part of what we're going to talk about is in my uh, leaning right moment about those vetoes a little bit and what we should expect for tomorrow and what we're going to be looking at moving forward in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And so just to make sure I'm clear and make sure our listeners and our viewers are clear, you've got a sponsor for your leaning right moment. I do. Still do. How about you? How about a sponsor for the skyscraper? Are we still looking? Well, it is the Stanley Law Group skyscraper, but the studio has not found a name yet. Do you have one? No. Okay, well, that's... I bring nothing to the table as far as sponsorships are concerned. And if you think about this, what, we're in our 15th, 16th podcast. Uh, I've gone out and gotten a sponsor for my Leaning Right Moments. Um, I'm now, now that I can have that sponsor, I can focus on the sponsor for the studio. And we're still waiting on you. I mean, do we have to go back to... Uh, what Harry and Lee Talley have proposed, which is the coalition to draft Hermie Sadler for state senator, sponsor of the turning left moment. I haven't seen any official paperwork. I will put up I, the money. I, I've gotten nothing for my attorneys to review, which would be you. <laughs> that is right. <laughs> so you know I'm going to approve So have it. you reviewed anything? <laughs> uh, let's just say I have, and I've approved it. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. a shout out to, to Harry Talley and to Lee Talley as well. So who, who was the sponsor on the Leaning Right moment? The Leaning Right Moment sponsor is, of course, Charlie's Waterfront Cafe, beautiful downtown Farmville, Farm Vegas, Virginia, one of the greatest, finest restaurants in all of the Commonwealth of Virginia. All your libation needs will be fulfilled. All of your culinary delights will be before you. Everything that you want or need from a restaurant will be provided. And there will be Tom Graziano, <laughs> Tommy Graziano, to provide we you got, with any comedy you need along with your I got some meal. interesting feedback on Mr. Graziano's appearance on the podcast last week. I bet week. you did. I mean, he's an interesting fellow yeah. and uh, a wonderful guy. So 
The Leaning Right Moment is once again sponsored by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. Make sure you go down there if you're going to see your kids at Longwood University or Hampton Sydney College or going to buy furniture at Greenfront or just going to Farmville because it's a great place to go. Make sure you visit this fine restaurant establishment. So what is, how do y'all approach being a sitting state senator? You, you mentioned the amendments and you mentioned vetoes. And so how, and we've mentioned this entire time at how contested or chippy this session has been. Do you expect the same thing over the next couple of days as you guys go through this process? Yeah. And I think you've seen, it has gotten chippier. If you're in the Commonwealth of Virginia and you pay attention to state politics, you've seen it get chippier. The governor vetoed of the 25 um, bills that the governor vetoed. The vast majority of those vetoes were in Democrat-sponsored uh, legislation, um, more particularly to one state senator who told all of us that the Democrats in the Senate were going to teach us a lesson uh, when they knocked down all of the governor's appointments to the parole board. and. You know, I think what we're seeing now is uh, the Democrats saying, how dare you do that to one of our bills? How dare you veto our bills? But I think what you're also seeing is Governor Glenn Youngkin really standing up and flexing his muscle and saying, if we're going to play this game that you have started, then we're going to play it this way. And he's going to wait for the Democrats to uh, mature and he's going to be the adult in the room. But at the same time, he's not going to take any crap from him and good for him. Uh, some people have said, well, you know, he didn't really need to veto those and and, and some of the Democrats are really whining and crying, but they started this. And quite frankly, they need to be responsible, uh, mature legislators, and get over it. We have always respected the governor's position and authority. We have always respected their desires to try to, to at least achieve their agenda. Uh, we've, you know, if we disagree with that agenda or that policy or, or whatever that piece of legislation the governor wants passed, then we debate it and we vote it up or down. And sometimes they win and sometimes they don't. But to do it in a way in the Senate, we've talked about it before, where the Senate Democrats are this brick wall caucus, where they're Wait just doing it out of spite. I heard an ambulance. I got to go chase that ambulance uh, right now for the Stanley Law Group. What are the, what, as I mean, an attorney, what potential, uh, I mean, what do you have there? means money, money, money. Can we stop this recording and I can just go down there and maybe <laughs> throw a couple cards out Chad. from the ambulance? Go get in front of that ambulance. Ambulance. And I, yeah. Take some business cards. You Listen, handle most any, anything that could arise from an ambulance? Absolutely. The need for an ambulance? Absolutely. In fact, my son, Colin, is a, is a paramedic, so I can, I can even do the part that's inside the ambulance, not just if you've been hurt or injured and need a lawyer through the fault of someone else Call the Stanley Law Group. So, hey, maybe I'll sponsor your turning left moment. <laughs> but, uh, see, and, and when I hear an ambulance, it's like whatever thought I had in my head's gone. I'm like... That's so do you, I'll get you back on track, sure. Billy Rose. Thanks. That's what I'm here for. Thanks. Pull me back, bro. Do you. I'm thinking about money right you now. You mentioned vetoes and those kind of things or amendments. Do any of the bills or any legislation that you sponsored fall into any of those categories? Uh, luckily, uh, no. Uh, I can say in my 11 sessions knocking on wood as I do this, that of the 131 pieces of legislation that I've written that have become law, not one has ever been vetoed, and that's by Democrats and Republic go Republican governors. So um, that's because you're so sweet. Well, I've <laughs> I don't know about that, but I think, quite frankly, what there are times to be partisan, and there are times to make a difference, and there are times to do what's right for Virginia or for your area. And so, if you really have a good idea that's going to change someone's life, or or really help economically, or in education, or something like that, uh, then those are the bills you fight for, or beagles, and those are the bills you you 
move forward, try to get bipartisan support. And ultimately, a lot of times you have to go to the governor after you've worked it all through the House and Senate and say, hey, this is a great bill. This is why we need it. Can you please sign it? And sometimes they come to you as well and say, hey, I'm having a little problem with this bill. What do you think? And the governors always listen to the legislators who write the bill. So I don't have any of my bills either amended or, or vetoed. But there are a lot that are out there. A lot of, you know, you're talking about 150, over 150 bills that have been amended. Some of them are technical. Some of them may have added a comma or taken out a word. And some of them are substantive changes. And, and one of those bills is the marijuana law bills, which has been passed. Actually, the marijuana bill that they have now, I had originally had the bill. And it was just to make sure that if we're going to legalize marijuana, we don't put edibles in the form of gummy, gummy bears and the things that children would eat. It was a simple bill. Well, just as way of example, uh, of how this government process works for me, especially if 2023, you dip your toes in the water and run. So you took a very simple bill that actually was two lines that prohibited the, the making of any cannabis product in the shape of a gummy bear or something that would be enticing or normally child would eat, you know, a Sour Patch Kid or what have you. And the lobbyists got to it on both sides to the point where they made it a five or six or seven page bill, convoluted. I think, quite frankly, in its current form, kind of could hurt the hemp industry, the legitimate hemp industry, the CBD industry. Uh, and it has now grown into this beast in which it wasn't supposed to be. I'm, I'm a chief co-patron on it, but I didn't carry the bill through. Emmett Hanger, uh, another senator, did. To where I think that's probably going to be one of our biggest debates because the governor then amended it to act, add some criminal uh, penalties for possession of certain amounts of marijuana, large amounts of marijuana. And so we're going to have a vigorous debate on that. But a lot of these bills are not so vigorous. The one things that we have not, the one thing, two things that we have not brought up and has not been brought before this special session, this General Assembly, is what are we going to do about the gas tax? And what are we going to do about the meals tax? And it seems like the Democrats in the Senate and those in the minority in the House are unwilling to bring relief to our people in the Commonwealth of Virginia during times of economic hardship, where inflation is out of control. Gas prices, as you know, as a, an owner of petrol uh, companies, is out of control. It's really taking money off the table. And for volatile, people. too. It is. Yeah. And it's taking money off the, the kitchen tables and out of the purses and pocketbooks and wallets of, of parents. And it really is going to have a, an effect that we're not going to like to see. And I think we maybe even see the, the beginnings of a recession from all of this horrible policy up in Washington, D.C., trickle down here into the Commonwealth. So we've got We've got our work cut out for us by the time this drops, as the kids say. You know, this, this drops. We'll have gone through You didn't through know Wednesday. any better, and you watch some of the stuff that's going on. You can say in Richmond, but more so in Washington, D.C. It's almost like people are doing stuff on purpose, like, like tearing things apart on purpose. You know that can't be the case. Um, I wish I could agree with you totally, but I, I mean disagree with you totally, but I kind of agree with you, and here's why. I think 11 years ago, social media and the ability to be a 15-minute hero uh, was not um, as prevalent as it is today. Now we've got keyboard cowboys that uh, can, as uh, Mike Tyson said, it used to be you wouldn't say something to somebody else because they'd punch you in the face. Now they can write it on the Internet. And there's no big Yeah, some deal. dude messed up on an airplane last week and said something to Mike Tyson on yeah, an airplane. And <laughs> yeah, he did. So Didn't work out too uh, so, good. So, <laughs> yeah, he must have. You know, he was missing that social media where he could have <laughs> typed it out. But, you know, it's... I think what it is is now you see a lot of politicians, they're fighting for airtime, airspace, notoriety, rather than fighting for their people. And that if you're doing that, if you go up here for yourself, if you go up here for your party, I mean, just your party, 
not the people you represent, then you're coming up here for the wrong things and you probably shouldn't be here. But you're seeing a lot more of jockeying for position of how can I out headline the next headline? How can I get my message out? How can I get people to pay attention to me? How can I get that 15 minutes of fame? Really, it's down to 30 seconds of fame with the short attention span, social media. You know, that's what you're seeing. And unfortunately, um, we're not here to do that, but a lot of people don't get that memo. So in the unsponsored turning left moments, a couple of big things that I picked up from the weekend. Number one. Unsponsored. Unsponsored. So we're not going with the coalition to draft Hermie Sadler for state senate. I haven't seen anything in writing. Okay. Well, you don't need, as your lawyer, we can have an oral contract here. We can have an unwritten contract. Well, more importantly, is the money in the bank? No, but I can make that. You know, I can I can sponsor that, couldn't I? No. Is that not allowed? Your money's no podcast? good. Your money don't count to me. Okay. All right. So it has to be a third party yep. that wants to sponsor the turning left moment. But go ahead. Remember what I tried to tell you? We signed the backs of the checks, not Ash, the fronts. Ash. I'm trying to teach you. You are teaching me. Billy that? Rose. I know. See, that's um, not, not something a, a lawyer in a small law firm learns a lot of how to sign the A couple of big checks. things for the weekend. Um, Talladega. Yeah. Big race. Ross Chastain is now a two-time winner in the Cup Series this year for Trackhouse Racing, and he is a future guest on the podcast. We got him set up for the next time that we go to Charlie's Waterfront Cafe and tape. Ross Chastain will be one of our guests, as will one of my favorite people of all time that I work with at Fox before he moved to NBC, the one, the only Rutledge Wood. Wow. Are they going to be in person? I mean, are we going to get them right there? No, we're going to zoom them in. Zoom them in. That'd be great. We're at Charlie's with them, you know, live. Everybody wants their autograph. That'd be great. And if you could work that for my sponsor, I could probably up the sponsor number for my moment. Now, if your sponsor wants to get into paying people to come in for personal appearances, that's a whole nother, that's another okay. conversation. You know, I'll talk to Cross. Okay. So Good luck think? with that. <laughs> what do you um, think of Talladega? Well, I enjoyed the races. Uh, happy for Ross. It was kind of an old school throwback kind of a restricted plate race. It wasn't two, three, four wide the entire time. There's some strategy in there, a lot of single file racing, but passes could be made when people were willing to make moves towards the end of the race. Um, it it really looked, it, the complexion of that race changed three or four times in the last five laps from looked like Kyle Larson was going to win, then it looked like, you know, um, Two or three other drivers looked like they had a shot. It looks like the seas just kind of parted for Ross uh, right at the end, but he did a great job uh, to get the win. Noah Gregson, was, uh, he won the Xfinity Series race driving for Dale Earnhardt Jr. And the last point about all that, which I thought was really interesting and fun, was that Fox, my former employer and friends at Fox, made a deal with NBC to allow Dale Earnhardt Jr. to join the Fox booth Fox yeah. broadcast. When did you ever see that happen? And thought, they advertised when, when NASCAR was going to get picked up by Fox. I uh, thought NBC. NBC. I thought it was great. And you you typically don't see that. It's a it's a competition and all those things. But uh, glad to see Dale Jr. He was on the pre-race show and in the booth with Clint Boyer and Mike Joy. I thoroughly, you know, when it comes to restricted plate style racing, there's nobody better at it and nobody better at talking about it. Than Dale Earnhardt Jr. I totally agree with you. He brings uh, something special to the booth, and he brings that kind of um, I don't know, kind of down on your level explanation, kind of the homegrown type of way that makes it so very entertaining. Put him in with Clint, 
Boyer. I thought that was even better. Yeah. They worked well. Well, it, it really goes to show you that the dynamic of the booth when you put another person in can really affect the entire booth. So congratulations to Ross Chastain. Uh, we'll have him on in a couple weeks. Congratulations to Noah Gregson. But now, Senator Beagle, <laughs> you have finally yes. struck gold. Thank you very much. When it comes to well, procuring guests for the podcast. Now, I, you know, look, I love the people that you bring on, and, and they're all entertaining. My dopey friends. Tell me your dopey friends. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I mean dopey in a good way, because all the, all the words are taken now. They're all bad words, and they used to be fun words. So, uh, you know, you've done really, really well, and I, and I feel like, you know, kind of let me down. But you know, I've done my best to bring on some guests here, maybe not of the caliber to this point of some of the ones that you brought on. You've done fine. But let me tell you, I'm hitting a home run today with the guests that we're about to put on to this glorious podcast. Uh, I think now I've really kind of leveled the playing field between the two of us, so it's, it's a sprint to see who can outdo the other in future episodes on guests of all the people that you could have gotten out of the quote unquote political arena. Our guest today would be at the top of my list personally. Absolutely. Mine too. I mean, one of my favorites, I love seeing her every day in the Senate. She serves as Madam president. Uh, she ran a historic election. She is the first black woman to ever be elected to statewide office. The first woman to be elected to the Lieutenant governor's chair. Uh, the first, uh, she has so many firsts. It's just amazing. And quite frankly, she does not fit into any stereotype. She does not take BS from anybody. She is her own person and quite frankly, uh, carries the confidence of a grizzly bear. And quite frankly, I think it's a breath of fresh air for the Republican Party. It's amazing for the Commonwealth of Virginia. And she has not just a really good story about her life but a really good attitude on where we are as a nation, as a state and a nation, and where I think we need to be. And so I'm going to be really interested to, to have you ask her questions and me ask her questions uh, of what we're thinking. She's just a free-thinking person. Who is Oh, I didn't tell you? You gave us a title. We need her name. Oh, okay. It was, uh, it's Janet Howe, Senator Janet Howe, your favorite. No? Louise Lucas, no? Uh, it is... Lieutenant Governor. You may call her Lieutenant Governor. I call her Madam President. Lieutenant Governor Winsome Earl Sears is going to join us today on this podcast. That's big. That's you. And you know what? She's going to tell us exactly how she thinks. You know what I like about her? She's done everything she's doing, not only from winning the election and how she did that to her position as being in charge of the Senate. She just tells the truth. She just tells it like it is. Without hesitation. And we need more of that in politics. We need more of that in society. We need more of that in life. Nothing fancy. No bells. No whistles. Not pretentious. Of course, elegant lady. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But but just really down home, tell it like it is. And I'm sorry if, if you don't like it. No, and, and I'll tell you right now, she invigorates us in the Senate. We're in the minority right now, the Senate Republicans. But she sits in the chair with 2119. Um, but she is a real, not only just a, you know, an inspiration. Um, but she does take the time, unlike most lieutenant governors, to come and be a part of our Senate Republican caucus, to inspire us, to give us ideas, to keep us up on the things that she's thinking about. Um, she's really interactive with our Republican caucus. She does it for a reason. She doesn't have to do the things. The lieutenant governor's job 
can be just you oversee the Senate and then you go and live your life and have your job. She has been on the ground all over the Commonwealth of Virginia. Absolutely. I mean, just this last weekend, she was in Lynchburg at the Boys and Girls Club. She didn't have to be. She did, and she made a lot of people smile, and she made a big difference for those kids that met her. I'm just so excited we're going to have her on this podcast today. It's going to be better than anything, I'm telling you right now. We want to thank our sponsor on the show, Pacematic. Pacematic is an entertainment company which develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every single time. Plus, these games of skill provide vital revenue to keep family-owned businesses like bars, restaurants, convenience stores, and truck stops thriving. And even right now, my friends and attorney, right here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Absolutely. They do a wonderful thing for our small businesses. They're keeping a lot of the doors open in businesses that would be otherwise closed right now. And quite frankly, uh, I've been talking to a lot of my constituents. You know, I'm not gambling, but every person I talk to comes up to me and says, we're so happy that the games are on, that we get to play these games, that we get a choice. And those are the ones they're preferring to play. They're, you've seen the proliferation of illegal gambling. They've tried to call it skill games. It's not it's slot machines. People don't like those games. People are rejecting those games. But they're coming to the games that are produced by Pacematic in those businesses that are allowed to have them under your injunction. Uh, those 6,000 machines, and uh, and they get a fair shot because they have a chance of winning every time because it's based on their skill against the machine, man versus machine, not man versus chance. And so it's a wonderful thing, and I, I'm just so happy that they're our primary sponsor. So next week, on next week's show, we'll have my longtime foe on the racetrack, but also lifelong friend Phil Parsons and his son Stefan. But the guest today, you introduced her. Can't wait to get to this. I hope everybody enjoys our interview with the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, Winsome Earl Seat. We're going to pay some bills with some advertisement, and then we're going to come right back to this interview. So stay tuned, everybody. Lieutenant Governor Winsome Earl Sears is next. Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12. The Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's exit 75 off I-95. 
We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Welcome back to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and of course, I'm Leaning Right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I'm Turning Left. Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Senator, well, you get the honors now. Well, we, we told everybody in the in the first segment that uh, we had a very special guest, and we have one of the most special people I've ever had the honor of knowing in politics. Uh, she is a great lady. She's doing great things. Uh, she set the world on fire, quite frankly, in, in the last election, last November, and we have just enjoyed every minute having her as the president of the Senate. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Madam President, as I call her, the <laughs> Lieutenant Governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Winsome Earl Sears. Welcome to the program. What an honor it is. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. I'm so glad Sen- Senator Beagle finally scored a <laughs> guest <laughs> so, for the podcast. So, Madam President, what he always does is he has quite a Rolodex. It looks like, you know, a big uh-huh. giant circle. It's like okay. one of these. Uh, he still he, has one of those. I do have one of he those. Does. Well, he does. Right, he can call you know on what? anybody. That'll never go down on you. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's good. That, mine is a pamphlet. <laughs> so, so after Danny Marshall uh, and you, I'm out of I'm out of ideas, and so we just have to rely on people that he knows that are famous. And we've had some really good guests come on here, and amazing uh, guests. So we even had the guy from Lizard Lick Towing, uh, who, quite frankly, Ronnie Shirley. Know, Ronnie Shirley, he was so funny. We were he was on last week, and and I thought to myself, you know. Let's see what happens, but it just spread like wildfire through the uh, social media pages, yeah. and that that podcast itself has had over a hundred thousand listens just from that guy. Awesome. So that's on his Rolodex. Mine is you, uh, you know, Danny Marshall, uh-huh. and um, but let's be honest. From the very beginning, mm-hmm. when we started writing down a list of of people, our wish list of we want people we wanted to have on the podcast. You're at the top of both of our lists. Well, right, I've been then. asking him from the beginning that you were a little bit busy uh-huh. in session trying to keep that crowd in check. That crowd? <laughs> yeah, that crowd. Yeah. Really? You know, they say it's hurting cats, but it's not. It's hurting leaders. Mm. And it's harder because every every one of them, all 40, they're leaders. So it's more difficult. But, but the, good, the good news is they're all so humble and, yeah. and <laughs> understanding and patient and yeah. all those well, things. Did you hear my laugh? Okay. <laughs> 39 of them are. Okay. So maybe I'm not. That's okay. But, you know, she's right about that. I think uh, I've made the joke that there's 140 governors. Uh, yeah. uh, in the General Assembly because mm. everybody thinks they can do your job better or aspires to that job or does something to position themselves so they can try to run for that job. So hey, that's a lot to deal with. Hey, they can have at it. I got four years. Four years. Yes, that's right. And then you run for governor. Uh, I didn't say that. Nobody heard me say that. <laughs> that was a disembodied voice over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd love to see you continue on it. And, and and we're really treasuring the time that we've had with you in the Senate. Uh, you had an amazing storied career just to get here. Tell some of our listeners who may not be familiar with Virginia politics. This is a nationwide podcast. We're heard oh. all over the world, amazingly, or at least that's you what don't Hermie know says. it yet. Uh-huh. But this is the, this is the most important interview you've ever done in your life. <laughs> okay, well, all right then. Well, let's have at it. Where so, do you want to go? Well, let's let's start from your you know from your beginnings. I mean, it's such a great American story. I just mm. love hearing it every time I listen. To it. And you know that's what it is. It's truly an American story because I used to read. Um, in class, the history books about how people come to America and they they become they have this great fortune. 
Well, that never happened to me. But the fact that I can be second in command in the former capital of the Confederacy, and I wasn't even born here, is still the great American story. It's still happening. There are people who are still coming off the plane, and, uh, and, and they're saying, this is America. Because my father, as most people probably know by now, came to America August 11th of 1963. Now, that date is significant because just 17 days later, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. And so you have to understand that my father, a black man, decided that America was going to be the promised land for him. Imagine that when so many bad things were happening to black people. Because I said to him, why would you come at the height of the civil rights movement. I mean, you asked to come, you had to provide documentation, you had to have background check, you had to do all that. And he said, because this is where the jobs and the opportunities were. And I was thinking about that not so long ago, that for him and for so many people, America is the promised land. But then there are people who are born here, they're already in the promised land and it's not that for them. And I'm trying to understand why. He comes to a country, it's not his country, it's not his culture, and it is his promised land. And I think it's because, you know, when you get to the promised land, you've got to work. It's not given to you. Yes, America is this great melting pot, and, and look, I understand she has had her problems. I talked about him coming at the top of the civil, the height of the civil rights movement. But my father is comfortably retired right now. He came with a dollar seventy-five, and actually, I'm spotting him a quarter because he couldn't remember <laughs> if it was a dollar fifty or a dollar seventy-five. You know, and and uh, he took any job he could find, and he put himself through school, and began his career. And and, and so, and then he, he came and got me, you know, after he got through school. He came and got me. So what kind of a father brings his daughter, right, to a country where there are issues? And clearly I'm black. I mean, have you noticed? No. No? no? Hey. You're kidding me. I, I, this is it. I, <laughs> I'm just hearing about these people, the black elite on TV, MSNBC. They're calling me a white supremacist and that I'm shucking and jiving for the white man. And I'm thinking to myself... Well, these guys ought to know, you know, these black elite, they ought to know about shucking and jiving because that must be what they're doing for their white man. I mean, come on now. Let's just be real. Let's be civil. Let's just well, you notice take a chill. You, you notice know the people that are saying it are the white people? And the black people, the ones who've made it. I mean, and it, and it seems like to me uh, that if you are a successful black woman mm-hmm. and you're a successful black woman in politics, Mm-hmm. And you run for office. And then suddenly, when you run for office, everybody finds out you're a re- conservative Republican. Republican. Guess what? Mm-hmm. They use words like Uncle Tom. I know. They use the, the words that harken back to the days yeah. of when your dad landed here in the United yeah. States and act like uh, you can't be yeah. black uh-huh. and be a conservative. They act as if I don't know what it is being poor. My father came here poor. They act as if I don't know what happens to people who have been imprisoned. I mean, I ran a men's prison ministry for two years. I was the leader of it. Every Wednesday, six o'clock, there I was with my group. I led it two years, loved it, loved to bring hope to the men. 
they act as if I don't understand what's happening if, you know, as we say in the hood, in the street. I also was the director of a homeless women's shelter for their children also. Uh, I, I mean, I did that. It was the best job I ever had because I could see that if I could, you know, pour into these women's lives that they could they could make it. So, no, no. I think the problem is they're fearful that there are pe- people who are going to look at me and say, well, if Winsome can do it, I can do it. And, and, and they don't want that to happen because then what will be their reason for being, you know? Breaks Th- their stereotype. It breaks their stereotype because uh, I'm a black immigrant woman, and here I am. The Democrats did not nominate me. It was the Republicans who nominated me. And then I had Republicans who voted for me because that, of course— is my base, and then I had crossover Democrats vote for me. So let's cut the nonsense and just get to, we're gonna disagree, but let's not be disagreeable. Mm-hmm. Let's be civil with each other. That's what they do in other countries. I've seen it. I've seen what it looks like when people say stupid stuff like, we're going to be a socialist Democrat country. Do they even know what that means? No. When I was 11 years old, I knew because my father actually sent me back to Jamaica for school because I wasn't learning anything in New York schools even then, even at that time. And and I saw when we had a prime minister come to power talking about we're going to be a socialist Democrat country. Where have we heard that before? Ah, yes, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Girlfriend, it doesn't work. I'm telling you now, it does not work. And don't think that you can make it better when you take something from other people and give it to others who didn't work for it. It's not gonna. It's not gonna end well, and it didn't end well in Jamaica. And for forty years, it destroyed Jamaica. Really? We're just not coming back. So, yeah. Um, uh, but but you know, things are gonna work out. We're gonna be fine. Little girls are already looking at me and realizing that they can do it too because I tell them all I did was stay in school and study. That's all I did. I didn't have any financial connections. I didn't, ha- I'm looking at you not for any reason, but <laughs> I, I didn't have financial I thought you just kind of like me. <laughs> I didn't have any political connections because I've been gone for 20 years yeah. from politics, you know. Um, and even then when I ran, I didn't have any connections. So I, but I was preparing. I was, you know, you, you prepare. This is how you stay in school and you study. And it was, I'm gonna say this last thing on that. 50 some years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech to, and it was six months before his assassination. And he gave it to a group of junior high school students in Philly at Barat Junior High School. And it, if I tell it to you now, it's as if he were speaking today. And this is what he said. I understand your socioeconomic problems, but stay in school. Burn the midnight oil. He said, doors are opening for you that were never open for your mothers and your fathers. Be ready when those doors open. Education will do that. That's wow. 
and it's called Life's Blueprint. And so I hope that whoever hears this will go look it up because this is the internet age and everything's on Google. Go look it up and you'll just be, I think it'll warm your heart. You know, Martin Luther King and also so many have said, education is the great equalizer. It is the great equalizer. And, and a book does not judge. Math does not judge. No. History no. does not judge. We judge it. Science does yeah. not judge. It is a further pursuit of humanity. It's the great equalizer. You know, I'm looking at this. I was doing something else, and I found this, and it's a graph through the Census Bureau, 2013 to 15, and it's talking about the median household income in the U.S. by ethnic group. The number one at the top makes the most money out of everybody in America, Indian Americans. They make about $100,000. Next is Filipino Americans, 83 grand. Taiwanese, Sri Lankans, Japanese Americans, Malaysian Americans, Chinese Americans, Pakistani Americans. Then we get to number nine, white Americans, uh, they're making about 59000 Then Korean Americans, Indonesian Americans. Then there's the average American makes 56000 Then Thai, Bangladeshi, Nepalese Americans, uh, Hispanic Americans. They're second from the bottom. They make 43000 And then here are African Americans at the very bottom making 35000 You know what this is? This isn't racism. This is education. That's what this is. But before we won our election in November, we being Glenn Youngkin, governor, myself, Jason Meares for attorney general, and the House, before we won our election in November last year, we were, they, the, the Democrats, unfortunately, were dividing us by saying that black kids, since we're not making it, we should have black children um, not study, actually all children, just to make black children feel good, we're gonna get rid of advanced diplomas and we're gonna get rid of advanced math. But excuse me, it was the, the black women of the Hidden Figures movie who used advanced math to get us into space. And home. And there it, and back again. So, uh, Good God, if, if we could just say, make, and, I'm, and this is what I'm doing now, make education a national security issue, because it is. Make education a national security issue so that um, our children will learn. Will learn, yes, they're gonna learn history, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but they must know reading, writing, and arithmetic. That would be critical reading, theory, critical writing theory, critical they need to know that because we've got Russia out there. And by the way, speaking of Russia and the borders, you see that uh, America is trying to fight for Ukraine's borders. What about our border? I mean, suddenly borders are important, but not the poorest one down uh, at the southern end of the of America. Well, you know, the Ukrainians the best, can't vote in uh, democratic elections the, the <laughs> best in the United part, States. I'm glad we got cameras here, Bill, but here you talk uh-huh. and to watch you speak, you can tell that how passionate you are and how much mm. you care yeah. about what you're saying. And I know you've had a, a long, interesting educational road to get to where you are, but as a lifelong Virginian who 
raising my family here, running businesses here. Uh, I have a daughter with autism, special mm-hmm. needs. You are the right person, the perfect person mm-hmm. at the right time for so many people because all the things that you speak of are things that in my area, we, in Emporia, Greensville County, we're, we're a distressed area in a lot of ways. And I hear people that look like you, but they don't talk like you, and they don't have the mindset that you have, and they don't have the passion that you have and the open mind that you have. And so I just want to thank you because you are setting an example for so many people to your point as to what is possible. I want to tell you a quick story, um, and, and Senator Stanley knows this. In October 2020, I bought a truck stop in Suffolk, Virginia from, from Pilot Flying J. All stomping grounds. Yeah. Well, Jimmy Haslam Pilot built a truck stop right on the 58 in Suffolk. Hmm. And less than three years old, uh, he wanted to sell it. I bought it. I went there the first day. Had no employees, really, no management, just the people that were there. And first thing I'm thinking of is a $10 million facility. Who's going to run it? What are, mm. what are we going to do? There was a lady in the back of the room named Rita Beeman. Mm-hmm. She was a cashier at the time, making 12 bucks an hour, black lady. She came up to me after I met with everybody, all the employees. She came up to me and she said, Mr. Sadler, you just met me five minutes ago. She said, but I've been here for three years. I'm a cashier. She says, but. I'm just letting you know that I want an opportunity to be a manager at this location. All right. And I think if you'll show trust in me, mm. then I'll make you proud. Wow. And I'm on a gut feeling. I made Rita that day general manager of Saddle <laughs> wow, Travel Plaza in Suffolk. Now, three years later, uh-huh. she's making way more money than she's ever made in her life. But more importantly... She is in charge of and efficiently running a multi-million dollar travel facility. She's got 30 employees that love her to well, death. She is entrenched in the community. She goes to the meetings and she, you know, she, I guess I'm saying this because so many people in her position that I talk to talk about a victim or they can't do this or yeah. they don't have this opportunity. Yeah. Or they're owed something. And she... Yeah is a in in my in in my company and in my i call her family yeah um somebody that wasn't afraid to number one come up and say mm-hmm. i can do this job yeah. if you she just give me the opportunity opportunity, opportunity that's, that's all it. i want just give me an give me a chance yeah and i'm gonna tell you she is got it going on that's and right. you know i go visit her at least once a week and she uh she is so the opportunities are there and but i she was willing to speak up and ask for an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I, of, of all the 300 whatever people I've got, there's nobody that I'm more proud of than her because she could have stayed in her lane and, and chose to yeah. fly under the radar, but she stepped up. The thing is, she was determined to make it. Sure. She was living a certain life, and she said, I'm not living this life anymore. She told me, she said, I got people to take care of. There it is. And the way I'm doing right now, I'm not able to take care of my people. And she wanted to do it herself. Well, she yeah. didn't want she didn't want to be done for her. She wanted to step up and do it herself. And just when you hear people in your position, you got mm-hmm. a tremendous platform now. I think you're going to inspire more stories and more people like Good. Rita and otherwise across this Commonwealth of Virginia 
that is going to help us uh, get come closer together and unite to, to make things to. happen. Yes, There's ma'am. a big world out there. I'm, I'm looking at this. Um, you know, I used to be vice president of the State Board of Education here in Virginia, and so I know where to look. And let me tell you, we have tried just about everything to bring up the test scores when I was there, even before I was there. And one of the last things that was tried was, you know, we had the SOLs, and the kids were not, just weren't making it. They, they kept failing and failing. One good thing about the SOLs was that whatever the rich kids were learning, the poor kids had to learn the same thing. We finally had standards. And how did we actually get the SOLs? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's because, <laughs> love talking about this, it's because way back when Governor Allen became governor, all you had to do to graduate from high school was to pass a sixth grade literacy passport test. That's, you know, think about that, to get out of high school. So it's no wonder the kids weren't learning back then. Well, anyway, he came in, Governor Allen was elected, and formed this Blue Ribbon Commission, totally reformed everything, and Virginia became the standard for education. And when uh, the next president came on board in, uh, who was that after, I think it, I think it was, um, George W. might have been W., that he adopted Virginia standards for the whole country, and that's how we got no child left behind Mm -hmm. which was a good thing as i said we understood now that there were some there were standards and the poor schools were going to learn the same thing as the rich kids that that that's it this is the standard everybody has to meet it well no matter what was happening we failed so the final thing was lower the standards and in six years it it will give all the kids an opportunity, the black children, the Latino children, an opportunity to move up and finally meet those test scores. They never did because the same problems were happening. Uh, so, so there's nothing else we can do except now, and Michael Bloomberg, I don't know if you saw, Michael Bloomberg just came out, former mayor, uh, Democrat, well, whatever he is, uh, he came out uh, yesterday, a couple days ago, and he's given $100 million to the charter schools in New York because they're doing a bang-up job in, in, in children from single-family homes, African-American, Latino-American, extremely poor. And he's not getting the cream of the crop in those schools. It's a lottery system, so everybody has an opportunity, and they're doing much better than the, the kids in public school, same demographic, same poor kids, same failing kids, but you put them in, in these charter schools in New York and they thrive. So he said the reason why he's doing it is because these charter schools have figured out these three things. Number one, children first. Number one, we want high expectations. And number two and number three, we are going to hold some people responsible. Imagine that. So children first, high expectations, accountability. And that's what we need. And do you know how we get there? It's going to have to be. It's going it's, to, it's, it's almost like a Johnny, how tall are you? <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's, we're going to do that, giving parents 
the ability to choose where their children go to school. What a novel That's idea. That's it. It's competition. Because, you know, when I had competition my... Competition makes everybody better. Makes everybody better. How? Well, when I had my company uh, before, unfortunately, former Governor Northam made certain decisions, kept people home, and destroyed my business, destroyed my African-American, veteran-owned, woman-owned business, this is how we're going to do it. So... Let's say we have my company still. When you move into my neighborhood, you can only use my company because of your zip code. You can't use anybody else's company but my company. What do you think starts happening? I start taking you for granted. I know that when you move into my zip code, I got you. You are mine. Nobody else can touch you. Your money is coming to me no matter what I do. That's how it is in education. Who made those rules for us? We don't make those rules. Government. Oh, right. People who know better than mm -hmm. parents. But the argument there, they say, is, well, we don't want public monies to go to private institutions. Well, that's laughable because it's already happening. There are SNAP benefits, right? Food benefits. And they go to lower income folks. Well, the people who use SNAP benefits, they don't have a government grocery store that they go to do they no it goes to the private grocery store right so that public money's going to a private institution when it comes to medicaid medicare and all that isn't that public money's going to private hospitals mm -hmm. yes see class we're getting there <laughs> i love this <laughs> then when it comes to oh we can go on forever but i'll just not. raise my hand if i have a question <laughs> when it comes to the, the, the higher education now and vocational schools, don't we have something called student loans? Isn't that federal monies going to private institutions? For so, now. Yeah, for now. I mean, <laughs> there are some state schools, but generally you don't say you must go to the trade school in your zip code and we don't say you must go to the university in your zip code because then we'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute fixes in why can't i go to any school so i'm saying we've got to make some changes yeah now we did do that uh you know school choice is something that's not in its purest form here in the commonwealth of virginia back during bob mcdonald's era i was probably too dumb and naive to know better <laughs> but i decided for myself that i'd heard the same thing you had mm. we can't use public school funds to go to private mm -hmm. institutions and mm -hmm. especially those that may be catholic schools oh yeah or mm -hmm. a faith-based school private school like that mm. Uh, that's just against the Constitution. So we came up with an idea that, that had been tried before to, to become a law but then failed, and it was to create scholarships to where if, if there was a scholarship institution, an organization that gave scholarships to children at or below the poverty level yeah. to attend the school of their choice, that is to go to a private school if the public school was failing them, the person that would give the scholarship would get a 60% break on state taxes. Mm -hmm. So now we have up to $25 million a year that allow children that are at risk, are in uh, underprivileged, underserved communities, going to these private schools, and they're thriving and flourishing. They're thriving. Yeah. We've got beautiful schools, EISTC private schools here. EISTC program. Yeah, and yeah. It's, but you know what? We I have seen ever since I passed that bill, and I even then expanded it for pre-K in areas where we didn't have a pre-K or kindergarten mm. in those school divisions, uh, to allow those children grab them early and get them into yes, private school. Yes. And you know what? Every year, except for this past year, it was the first time I haven't seen it. Democrats have filed bills to repeal it every year. They do everything they can kill it. Mm. And so then you have to say, well, then 
you must think there's a better system. And I'm a public school, you know, graduate. I went to public school. My yeah. my father was. He was as poor as could be. Education allowed him to yeah. Over, when I came back from poverty. Jamaica, I'm, poverty. I'm, I'm, my father wasn't paying for private school. Yeah. Yeah. But and so you can use education, but in a lot of areas, like you know, in our, our urban areas, even some of our rural areas, the schools are failing our children. Mm-hmm. And that's not the child's fault. No. But the Democrats depend on the belief. And a lot of our tax dollars, I think, what, 26 out of $1, goes right to the public school system. And we're still not graduating at 90% levels. We have a horrible graduation rate here yes. in Richmond. And oh we, we have failed as a government to even understand that the vast majority of our students, our children, our greatest natural mm-hmm. resource, go through our public system, never go on to college. And we don't yeah. educate them coming out. And, and the ones that do pipe. go to college, you must understand, the ones that do go to college, they spend, uh, 70% of them spend the first year of college in remedial education. So they're still not ready for college. But we, I have been touring schools right here in Richmond, in fact, and have found that in Richmond, the public schools, if they were to charge a tuition, it's about $16,000, $16,000 for a child to go to a public school in Richmond. Per year. Per year. Well, there are schools that are private schools in Richmond that are doing it for 14 or less mm-hmm. with better results. Yes. With better results. So don't tell me that it can't happen. It, with the same demographic, with the same demographic, um, there is a school that's, uh, it's a private school. It's built, a beautiful private school, built right across the street from public housing, one of the public housing areas here in Virginia, in Richmond. And that school, it's thriving. But guess what? The school right behind it, right behind it, same demographic, children coming from uh, single-parent homes, poor, uh, you know, uh, undereducated, not ready for school. They're not thriving, but the children in the private school that's right in front of them with the same demographic, they're thriving. So what's the difference in your mind? I think the difference is that, number one, the children, the parents are ensuring that they're going to get this education. Number two, I think it's also that the the teachers, uh, they spend more time. That's that's actually number one. The 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 teachers spend more time uh, with the children. So there's after school tutoring. They teach them for longer periods of time because here in Virginia, the 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 contracts with uh, teachers, public school teachers, is it's no more than 180 you know hours of instruction. Well, at that school, it's much more. If you practice something more. You usually get better at it. So the kids are more in school. They're, I think, merit-based pay. You know, if you come up with wonderful ideas, you're you're excellent at what you do. You get paid more. There is there's incentive for doing a good job. And by the way, you don't do a good job. Guess what happens? You're out the door. If you don't know how to teach, you can't be in front of these children. The children don't get do-overs. And in every profession. There are bad apples. There are bad cops, yes. There are bad teachers, yes. There are bad politicians, 
Mostly. We're going to get rid of all of them. Wait, wait, mostly bad? <laughs> We're going to get rid of all of them. you going to tell him you didn't look for him for no partic- any particular reason? We're going to keep him because he, he's funny. <laughs> look, I've sat here and listened. If you try to not be partial and sit back and listen, everything that you said and Senator Stanley has said mm-hmm. makes sense, and it's all facts. Mm-hmm. And so my question to you two that – or integral part of our government, what has to happen to tear down this wall we've got to get people on the same page to understand? Because the people in education, the people are mm-hmm. hurting. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Virginia, and we, you know, we're looking to y'all. And I just don't, you know, there's a. You mentioned the word, you know, you, we're not always going to get a, get along, but. Yeah. Everything is so confrontational. We'll disagree, but we don't have to be disagreeable. disagreeable. Yeah. So how, how how do we start that process of of doing getting on the same page to do what's right by the, the citizens of this commonwealth? I'm going to divide your question up into two areas because we're talking about education first. Mm-hmm. My, my conclusion is, unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever be able to break the cycle in terms of what we're seeing now in the public education system because it is too embedded in our government system whether it be the locality or the state, uh, that is one of the largest stakeholders that we have. And they're a pretty loud voice. And they're a very loud voice in one party, mm-hmm. one part of our party, and mm-hmm. seem to lionize us uh, in the Republican side. But we care about education. We care about public education. But we're mm. kind of shut out of that. And so they constantly want more dollars. The bear needs to be fed more. And they complain that their lowest rate of teacher pay, but yet, quite frankly, in terms of benefits and other things, when we look at those uh, those benefits that they receive, they're in they're in the middle of the pack or a little bit higher. You're never going to get wrestle that away from them. The one thing that has scared them that I think may naturally affect public school education is the fact the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They said shut it down, put mm-hmm. mask on all the kids, mm-hmm. and it it created an awakening mm-hmm. because not only were then this local government entity called a school dictating how your child child would arrive at school. But then it ripped the curtain back a little yes, bit, and did. we saw what they were teaching us yeah. and what we have seen in and Virginia. And what they weren't teaching. And exactly. Yeah. And what we've seen also, too, is that there was a lot more politics and indoctrination than mm-hmm. we thought in mm-hmm. schools. You know, We were wondering why our kids were coming back with some wild ideas that were contrary to what we had mm-hmm. raised them to be. But now you were seeing a revolt, a revolution of parents. And you're also seeing parents pulling their students out of school, more and more homeschooling or sending mm-hmm. them to private school, mm-hmm. and you're seeing less students. If there are less students in the public school system, they're paid by the state and by the locality on a per pupil per year basis. Mm-hmm. As you were saying, mm-hmm. $16,000 goes to Richmond to educate one child for one yeah. year. And, the, and they're still failing. Most of that money does not make it to the classroom. Where I think also, too, in private schools, most of that money makes it makes to the it classroom. Too, yeah. And so I think we may see the revolution of education where the parents are taking over again. But we have to make sure that is sustainable, that we just don't have a you know, a rah-rah moment, and then we all go back to our private lives, that this is a real tidal wave of change where parents are saying, this is what I want to have happening in my public school. This is how I want to educate mm-hmm. my child. Leave the rest up to me. And, oh, by the way, yeah. and if you don't do it, I have a choice. Exactly. And the government gives me that choice. That's right. It shouldn't be. I think the new racism in America is really uh, the zip code, the zip code of education. And underneath, you know, picture the new water fountains, and it shows that, when it comes to education, you if you're rich, that's the water fountain. And if you're poor, that's the other water fountain. And, and since 
black people are inordinately poor, then we're public school all the way. Meanwhile, the rich, they can they have any choice, public school, private school, homeschool, goodness, whatever they want. They, they, they have that opportunity. But for black children, it's generally public school. That, to me, is the real racism because after all, when, my child, as I said, doesn't get do-overs. What happens to this child? What, what, where does the, the because here's the kicker. Economists tell us that 70% of all jobs today, not tomorrow, today require something past a high school diploma. Well, if 50% of black men, young black men, are deciding to leave school before they even get that high school diploma, then then what's going to happen to them? And of the 50% that stay, fully half of them are functionally illiterate. Something's got to give. Some, that's why I'm saying this is the national security issue. I started out by looking at this, and it's the PISA test. And PISA means, and I'm just, I just lost it, but it's a program for international assessment. They test all children uh, who are 15-year-olds every three years all around the world. They take the same test. They test them in three areas, reading comprehension, science and math and the latest scores are from 2018 and what it shows is that in the math guess who's number one all across the world Asia. specifically china china and then uh taiwan and uh somewhere is singapore and then uh like the the first 10 asian countries do you know where america is when it comes to math Lower half. Number 37. We are the 37th best country in math. How, how do you figure that that works out for us? We're the number one superpower. It can't be good. Well, no, they probably tested me when I was going. <laughs> <laughs> I was no, we'd be outside the top 50 if that was the case. Then when, <laughs> Senator, it, when it comes Senator to Beagle. reading comprehension, you know who's number one? China. And who else? Most of the Asian countries. We're number 13. We're number 13. Then when it comes to science, we're number 22. I mean, countries like Estonia beat us. So this is a serious issue. You know, it's, it, it, it was brought home to me not too long ago when, you know, I'm a Marine veteran. Oh, yeah. So this is important to me. Well, it's important to all of us. But you remember when China sent up that hypersonic missile. Mm-hmm. And General Miley, chief of staff, uh, said that he was surprised. He was shocked that China had that missile. Man, if you're surprised, don't get on TV and say it. <laughs> don't tell our, <laughs> you know, keep that to yourself. Well, that's the new military for you, right? Yes. It's not the Marines you grew up in. This is strategy we're about. Right. Keep that to yourself. <laughs> Because it makes you look stupid, and it makes the United States look stupid. Compromised, for sure. We're getting good at that, by the way, on the national oh, stage, dear. international stage lately. It's just it's so, it's so appalling to see what we, where we've come. And I think you're, you're striking at, at exactly what the problem is and what the results of that problem are. Because, you know, if we invented almost everything, airplanes, cars, oh, you yeah. know, radios, TVs. Not anymore. But we have just slipped and let other countries be greater 
in terms of raising that, that talent well, pipeline that, that we used to raise. so much. You remember when Ross Perot said that giant sucking sound you hear? Mm-hmm. Remember that? After and, of course, that was going to, you know, our countries or our, our jobs are going to South America, et cetera. Well, the giant sucking sound went to other places, too. And, I mean, how long do you think that we were going to outsource all of the, you know, our, our explorations in science and everything else and it not come back to bite us someday? Yeah. You know, you can get all these cheap goods from China and from everywhere else, but at some point it becomes a national security issue. It's something as silly, uh, you know, um, as and not even silly, but masks when we really needed them, when we thought that they worked, uh, we couldn't get them. They, no. China made They're them. They in China. And China was hoarding them. Yes, they were. And or they were sending us actually uh, fraudulent counterfeits. Oh, boy. Uh, they were still sending them over, but they were counterfeits. They were even making the counterfeits to the products that they were making for 3M in the PPP market. Look at that. PPE Look at that. How, how much more of this? We could sit here all day and you yeah, could, we could throw out statistics and information mm-hmm. that prove, you know, we're, this is why it's called part one. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we got our eye on the wrong things. Yeah, we do. You know, and as a, I go back to as a business owner, we've got all these problems. Mm-hmm. We've got, you know, minimum wage issues and the what workforce issues, supply chain issues. And when I turn my TV on at home, my legislators, for the most part, are talking about legalizing marijuana. You know, oh, don't I, get me started on that because, you know, I'm from Jamaica. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, when, when we've got real <laughs> live problems that are affecting everybody's ability to. To, to run a yeah. business, to, to work at a business, to raise a family and do all Listen, that. Somebody's got to be the adult in the room. Yeah. And somebody's got to say, folks, we're looking at the wrong thing. There are people who want us to keep our eyes over here when the real action is sure. over here and we're destroying we're our country. We're falling for it. And we're falling, we're for, falling it for it. Because we've become complacent. Somebody, look, Democ- okay, so... America is not a democracy, I understand, but for the sake of argument, democracy is not a spectator sport. You got to get in, you got to get in the arena, and okay, you're going to take your noogies, and if your team doesn't win, you don't go sulk, you you, you stay in the fight, and you figure it out, and you come back again. But in the meantime, you get along because this is your country. You can't burn the house down. You know what I mean? And remember, Rome was not destroyed from without. It was destroyed from within. Mm-hmm. Its own citizens opened the gates. And it lasted a lot longer than this uh, democracy has, well, this republic has. The, yeah. And, and so we, we have to come together and figure it out. I was reading, I, I, I was reading something, well, it was the Bible. And because I'm, I'm really thinking about this because when you're in a different position in life, where I am now, you you see things a little differently just because that's normal. Well, I was reading about Ezra and Nehemiah when the Jews were coming back from captivity, and it so eloquently tells us that they were rebuilding Solomon's temple. It was beautiful. But you know who it wasn't beautiful to? The people who remembered the glory and the grandeur of Solomon's temple and it said the old men who remembered it they weeped in fact they weren't weeping they were bawling because they remembered how it used to be and then I said to myself my god that's it here in America there are some people who remember 
how bad it used to be. For example, when my father came at the height of the civil rights movement, and what they've done is they've transferred that hurt and that pain to their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. And so we can't ever forget. We can't ever rejoice that we are not what we used to be. Otherwise, I could not be second in command in the former capital of the Confederacy. At some point, we've got to say we have moved to a certain place in this country. So let's, yeah, let's, you know, we want to remember the history and we don't want to repeat it, but we can't take on the sins of our fathers and their fathers. We've got to, they got to answer for their own sins. We have to unhinge our children and let them fly. Don't talk about, baby, you remember how they used to do and you remember how. No, forget that. Let your children thrive. That's what we need. You're all about it. I'm, I'm totally in. Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to GoliathLife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to GoliathLife.com. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermes Adler sidekick on this podcast. But when I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer. Give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure that we are the lawyers that you swear by and not at. The funny thing about this is that at the time where we are probably at our greatest moment in history as a country. You know, and I grew up in and racism and it being put in front, not really a part. And, and I was, you know, on military bases. My father was in the Navy. It was fully integrated, no problems. Wasn't really thought about. Now it seems to be the card that everybody plays, the wokeism, and that, and that suddenly one, one day you can say a word and it's a fine word, and the next day it's a bad word. We're letting, and it's a super minority that seems to be making these dictatory decisions about mm. how the rest of us should act, rather than leaving us alone to act as we believe or have been raised to act based on, you know, what our principles are. How do we, how do we unwind that? Because I think that was part of Hermie's question. Mm. I took it on education. Look, I, I try real hard. I didn't grow up like you grew up, and I didn't grow up like he grew up. And he was I, a rich so I try kid. to. He was a rich kid. Take myself out of it. <laughs> take myself out of because you know if if you don't know somebody's full, full life story and what they experience and things, mm-hmm. so I try not to assume that they had a you know a childhood or whatever like I did. And but you can learn from, from those things. But it's just you know it, like they like we talked about before the people that some of the people in our own 
supposed to be on our own team mm-hmm. want the fighting. I mean, they want the the uh, because not, we're humans. Yeah, we're humans, and and I get it. I understand it, but we've got to figure this out. And we've got to figure it out fast. Yeah. And I yeah. think how we do that is we finally hold those who represent us politically um, hold them accountable. When it comes to education, you don't. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sure. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm not the politician. Yeah, so. uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Senator Beagle. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're Madam President. Are you kidding me? But but remember, you know, even when I started here 11 years ago, in the capital of Richmond, and that's where we are right now, we were, we had different viewpoints, but we all had a common goal. Maybe a different way to get mm-hmm. there. That seems to be gone. The times of Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. Remember where? Yeah. You know, they would they would have different yeah. opinions on things and different belief systems and principles. But in the end, they came together to get mm-hmm. something done without sacrificing the principles to do it. Yeah. Now it seems to be finger pointing. And especially, uh, Madam President, you're seeing this right now in your first term. Oh, yeah. Where uh, where the first guy, uh, where where the governor yeah. is being called out oh, oh, by oh, Democrats rather called, than being worked with. He's been called incompetent. I mean, and, and they hold they hold press conferences and actually use that word incompetent. And I'd said before on the campaign trail, some some of uh, your listeners may remember. That, remember, they're calling a man, Governor Yunkin, who in his previous position as CEO, he was in charge of a budget that's four times the size of Virginia's budget. What is Virginia's budget? About 176, It's right around there, Give or take of three billion. Over two years. Yeah, over two years. Yeah, he, he ran, so do you not think that he knows what he's doing? Of course he does. And then remember now that Governor Yunkin's opponent, the Democrat former governor, Terry McAuliffe, gave Governor Yunkin his own money McAuliffe gave Yunkin his own money to invest for him. So there is no greater endorsement of Governor Yunkin's capabilities than than, than um, McAuliffe giving him his own money. I think we need to stop the nonsense. We need to get down to business. Frankly, you're a business owner. I am too. Well, I was until... Governor Northam's policies, and you were, am, all right, and there's the English for you. So, present <laughs> tense. Anyhow. He keeps hanging around with me. He might not be much longer. <laughs> yeah, he talks funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like Terry Kilgore. Um, you didn't hear me say that, Terry. Yeah, no, I love no, you, man. No, no. He, love well, Terry. <laughs> you know, they, it's funny because they can be far apart, and they actually sound alike. So you can be in the Southwest Virginia coal country and sound like somebody from Emporia. Look, a little bit of insert of information. Uh-huh. My first full-time sponsor in NASCAR back in 1993 was Virginia Division of Tourism. Okay. We put Virginia's for Lovers slogan on my car. I had it for two wow. years. Uh-huh. That's when Governor Allen yes. came in the office. And so first, uh, yeah, first. that way back in the day, yeah. you, you were so young back then. I was a babe. A little the, baby back then. I was then. a babe. But yeah, I, I have great relationship not only with Governor Allen, but uh, the Kilgores, Terry and uh, Jerry. They, Jerry, and Jerry they, they, and they are just the whole family. They've been great. Yeah, yeah. one has to they have a great. mustache and one can't because that's yeah. the way you tell them apart. 
Otherwise, they look identical and they sound identical as they, well. They do. They do. Hey, one other both great, great Virginians. Piece of information that might be useless to everybody except me, uh-huh. but do I appreciate one of the things that I like that you do when I listen in on y'all from time to time on things that I, you know, I, I don't look at. I must say I don't look at. It. I know a lot of things are Republicans, Democrats, Republicans, mm-hmm. Democrats. To me, being from South Side Virginia. I view things a lot in terms of South Side Virginia versus Northern Virginia, mm-hmm. South Side mm-hmm. Virginia versus Hampton Roads because they have so much versus of a Central concentration versus of, the Valley. Right, right, right. We call my, that regionalism. My, my little region, my little territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how is this going to affect my territory? Right. So I listen to you guys, you know, in the chamber a lot. And first of all, Bill told me, Senator Beagle, mm-hmm. that of the <laughs> ten thousand three hundred, just call him Snoopy. Snoopy. <laughs> There we go. Snoopy told me that of the 10,325 people that he's brought into the chamber this year and made you introduce Uh that I was your favorite. So I appreciate that. Well, you're sitting next to me, so of course you're my favorite. Right. But on a serious note, one thing that I've always appreciated you doing, you did it for my brother and I and everybody I've heard you do. When you say, give them the warm welcome of their Senate. Their Senate. Kind of a subtle reminder to people listening that, we're here doing the work, but it's not ours. Right. It's y'all's. Yes. And you seem to do that just about every opportunity I do. you get. And, I do. and I'm curious, is there a, is there the a meaning reason, behind that? Well, because, as I said, democracy is not a spectator sport. The reason why I am the president of the Senate, the reason why our senator is the senator is because the folks back home have elected us to go and represent their interests for the whole commonwealth right and so it is not our senate it doesn't belong to us it belongs to the people it's that little phrase of the people by the people people. and for Mm -hmm. the people well who are the people the people are not the elite the people are not the politicians the people are not the well-connected the people are you all excuse me y'all Y'all there are the you people. Go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, you hear yes. that, Snoopy? Hermes. <laughs> Rough. Hey, they're wearing on me, folks. i got to get right. out of here. Hermes wearing but anyway, on you. you are the people. And if you don't like how you are being represented, then it is your duty to kick them out and vote other people in. And that includes me. This is your Senate. It doesn't belong to us. We are the guests, really, of the Senate. And... The more that people understand that they are part of this process then and that they are responsible for the government that they get. You know, you don't vote? Okay, well, then you're responsible for the government you get. Stop hollering. Stop complaining. You didn't vote. You didn't vote either with your feet. You didn't vote with your money. You never knocked on any doors. You never um, handed out any palm cards. You, you never did anything you left it to somebody else to make a decision for your future and your children's and your family's future then you deserve what you get this is america we have this wonderful experiment that's still going on i don't know for how long but still going on for the time being where you get to choose your leaders that's such an awesome responsibility and yet we take it for granted and we say well you know i don't care you know whatever they're going to do what they're going to do anyway well, of course they're going to do what they're going to do anyway because people like you don't show up and hold us accountable. They showed up for you. 
I mean, the turnouts. Well, praise the we Lord got, for that. Let me tell you, the turnouts we got, and and you know, Hermie, I'm sure you were there at events as well. But yep. the excitement that uh, Winsome brought to every event, and and Glenn and Jason, I'd never the seen favor it before. Of God, that's all. I had never seen it before. I'd always worked in local politics. You could just feel the momentum brewing, amazing like in the summertime. But just amazing energy. And when she went out there, and 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 this was even during the primary period when we had that kind of quasi faux convention kind of deal. Yeah. Um, people would come back and they were going, you remember, we're kind of reopening a little bit and people would be coming back and saying, well, I went to this Lieutenant Governor's candidate forum and I've never met her before and I've never heard of her before, but Winsome Sears <laughs> lit the place up. Mm. And so it was almost like a perfect storm of perfect personalities mm. that came to the table this past November for, for a Republican who was kind of losing hope after losing a couple in a row and then watching our majorities in the Senate and the House go away. You know, um, I was a little worried, but mm-hmm. quite frankly, when you'd go to these events, your energy was so amazing and people really respond to you. And, and the fact that you're the first woman ever elected to a statewide office in the Commonwealth of Virginia. No, actually, Mary Sue Terry is the first woman elected. Oh, to, okay, to the lieutenant the governor. First, yeah, lieutenant okay. governor. And, and first uh, African-American black, black mm-hmm. woman to win mm-hmm. uh, the seat as well. That's just an amazing feat. It seems to be played down by our Democrat brothers and sisters of the history that yeah. you make. And we like to tell from the Senate floor that every day we get to look at, <laughs> yeah. at Madam President, we're, we're watching history in the making. How, how, how exciting was that race uh, and how, how was that energy for you on the other side yeah. of the crowd? And, Man, and, my, and maybe and maybe <laughs> maybe you could give some advice for a potential yeah. Senate candidate who might want to run for Senate in 2023 yeah. who might be sitting to your left. Well, listen. <laughs> She's oh, already shot that damn. Folks, uh, you heard it here first. Yes. But how was uh, that energy? I mean, well, because you came out of nowhere. I mean, you'd been you'd upset what was it, Billy Robinson? Yeah. Which was a that huge was twenty upset. years ago. Yeah. yeah. And it came on the scene and it, it had beat a longtime House of Delegates member. I think you ran for Senate, for Congress as well. No, I ran for Congress. Okay. Um, and. You know, I I talk about that uh, not so much, but let me tell you, that race was, it was almost hell on earth is what it felt like. Why? Because it was the same nonsense again. You know, she's not black enough, even though he's much lighter skinned than me, you know, and uh, it was nonsense. But, but, um, and I didn't get any funds and you can't run a campaign without money, but, and I lost, but I won more in that race, in that district, then as a Republican, than anybody had ever gotten. So imagine if I'd just gotten some money, the the places that we could have gone. You, you ran because against Bobby Scott, had, right? Yes, because his votes were so awful. I'm going to just tell you about one of them. Because I was not going to run. I figured, you know, let somebody else do it. and But nobody would challenge him. And then I saw his votes, and one of them was so bad, he had voted that it was a First Amendment right that you could have computer-simulated child pornography. Yes. See, nobody knew about that. And then the television station down there did an investigation, and they found, no, no, Winston wasn't lying to you. He did vote that it was a First Amendment right to have computer-simulated child pornography way back then. And it was so, it was so awful that they couldn't even show it on TV. And just imagine if I'd had the money to show people that kind of, He voted that you could take somebody's daughter across state lines who was underage and, have, and she could have an abortion. 
and just bring her back as if nothing happened, you know. And if something happened to her while this stranger took her, then it would be all right. No, no, nothing because they they're so bent on abortion, and there was just it it just never got any better. And I said, well, somebody's got to do something. And then I thought, well, I guess it's me. So I ran against them. Didn't get any money. Didn't have the 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 money to give the message to let people know. But I feel that I won. You know why? And this is where I give that this advice. I believe I won because I am always my own opponent. I only have to beat me. If I beat me, I win. Because you know who keeps me out of that race? Me. me. The voice in my head that says, you can't do it. Nobody will fund you. Nobody cares. Nobody loves you. You're ugly. Whatever. You know, that, <laughs> that voice. You beat that voice in your head, you win every single time, especially when you come out and you tell the truth about what's happening. And then you let the people decide. And, and then if you don't win, then you don't deserve those voters and they don't deserve you. It they takes want a lot. to stick with that person, let them. But at least you wanted to make a difference. You wanted to give them a choice. You, you, it takes a lot of courage to run. And I, and I always say anybody who's willing to run mm-hmm. has to have a certain amount of courage. But what, what all of a sudden, you know, you went and did these great philan- philanthropic things after the race with, with Bobby Scott. Uh, you were satisfied with the outcome, even though you didn't win. I would have rather had you yeah. here but, anyway but like than I said, Congress. In my but, mind, I won. Yeah. I won. Because, so so yeah. what all of a sudden got you up one morning and said, you know what? I'm going to make a difference. Because I'm tired of what's going on. I'm running for lieutenant governor. Race, and after we lost the two races in Georgia, and after I saw where the country was headed, I said, oh, my God, we're going to lose in Virginia again. And I can't afford to have that happen. I've, I, I've got to do something. And, and I keep saying you can either light a candle or you can curse the darkness. And to curse the darkness is to be a victim. I'm no victim. And you can, or you can keep complaining, but to light the candle is to find what is the solution. And so I offered myself, I said, okay, I've got to jump in and we'll see what happens. It was amazing though. Uh, I mean, you really caught fire and especially in in a way of a nominating method that really had not been tried before in the Republican party, uh, you really caught fire and it was pretty clear that you were going to be, and you were, uh, you were going to be it our candidate. Clear. It wasn't clear. It wasn't clear. It was clear to a lot of people down in my area. Let me tell you, I saw more Winsome Sears sign in my district than I ever saw Bill Stanley signs in my district when I was running. So okay. I was pretty impressed by Bill, that. You, you probably can't ask this question, but how how do you handle the um, when you're standing in the front of the Senate uh-huh. and you're negotiating all that traffic and things come at you sometimes Sometimes from Bill's side of the aisle, but sometimes the other side of the aisle that that I I think I know that you don't agree with or don't, you know, it's not your line of thinking, but you've got to be a professional and a job to do and all that. Do you ever, how do you navigate all that? I would seem that sometimes in my case, when something would come down to pipe at me that I just know is not true or know is not what Virginians need or what people in my district need or mm-hmm. Whatever, you but mean, like for example, if a bill comes through and it's a really awful bill, exactly, and I just that, let it go. Yeah, there's this little thing called the Constitution, and the Constitution tells me what I can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. And so I am the president of the Senate, mm-hmm. and they get to make the decision about what bills will pass and what, what which ones won't. Mm-hmm. 
And the Constitution says when they can't but make you, that you, you don't even throw a little smirk out there once yeah. in a while. You need to Because that's not my job. Yeah, yeah. My job is to keep the order. Mm-hmm. My job is to ensure that all of the senators are heard who want to be heard and that they have an opportunity to thoroughly vet whatever nonsensical issue that uh, that's on their minds even though they're not changing anybody's mind i, I have mind. to roll my eyes once in a while <laughs> some yeah i saw a half roll well uh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, well i'm a mother i have rolled my eyes enough times <laughs> that i don't have to roll them anymore but you know, like i know i know when bill if, if he and yeah. senator mcdougall over there playing yeah. solitaire whatever they're doing I, i'm playing solitaire and, maybe acting you know, up and, but and she, one of one of them stands up i just know you look over there like oh. yeah well no 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 because I mean, the, they are duly elected members of the great Senate of Virginia, and they're to be respected. And I am to be respected as well. And I want them to understand, I'm going to give everybody a fair shake. You want to speak, I'm going to give you that opportunity. Furthermore, there are rules that tells me how often each of them can speak on a topic. And, uh, and then after that, what happens? If they don't comport themselves properly then i just get the sergeant in arms and get them hauled out i haven't had Whoa, to do hey, that yet hey. Hey. can i get a little warning before that happens maybe <laughs> yeah i haven't had to do that but i did come kind of close because you know i'm not going to say anything but or name any names but you can look Ooh. and there was um there was a senator on the other side and he went after oh he went after another senator and he had he i had to remind him that I, I grabbed my gavel and banged it and he kept going and I banged it again and he started up again and I just went like this because if I said the next thing they might have had to haul me out of there but <laughs> I remember that yeah I but, remember that but you know I had to you, you don't speak to each other you right. speak to me right. I am madam president you call my name you don't because why because things get hot and heated like it was getting then and that's why if you want to ask a question of each other, you wait for me to recognize you. I ask you why you're standing up. Like I might say, for what purpose does the gentleman from Franklin rise? Rise, And, and he will say to speak to the bill, Madam President, or to ask a question of the patron, you know, will the gentleman yield for a question, that sort of thing. And then I'll ask the gentleman, will the gentleman from... Uh, Rockingham County yield for a question and he'll say I yield Madam President and then Senator Stanley will say and then I'll say Senator Stanley has the floor you see what I mean Mm -hmm. and then I would say basically Madam President I would ask the gentleman yes but I'm asking it through her that's the decorum of the Senate and that keeps maintains control but then you see how long it took to get that back and forth so it gives people time to cool down so that by the time I come back to Senator Stanley He's comported himself. He's, you know, he's freshened himself and Sometime. he can ask the question now. So, yeah, I mean, we are a nation of rules and we have a constitution, the Virginia Constitution, the United States Constitution. And and, and we have to have that in order to get along. And she does a very good job. Let me let me just compliment you on this, because we've had some prior <laughs> lieutenant governors that let the ship get a little loose every now and then. But she has been. Uh, really good to to and especially uh, to keep kind of the chatter down. We we like to do some chattering and talking. Sometimes we're talking about bills. Sometimes we're talking about something else. When we started out the Senate, 
this year we had these cages. You had yeah. plexiglass in front of us. Couldn't and it hear would anybody. Amplify the noise. Couldn't see probably anybody. Probably up up to you, and then we couldn't oh, really yeah. see you, and it, it was confusing until we got that out. But what Madam President is very good to do is we feel like uh, that she's almost like a Catholic school nun <laughs> because she will have that ruler in her hand and she knows how to direct the sound of her gavel to where we look up and we're like, uh-oh, that was us. And she'll just look at you and we'll just go, okay, sorry. Well, well most times now. they see me reaching for it and they smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they get caught. So, so, and then there was a, an old trick, an old gag that I used to run in the Senate a long time ago. I started, uh, I, I don't do it anymore, but it's now to take the new, uh, either if there's oh, a new senator, the I started the uh, the uh, whole thing. But I've moved on to other pranks. Uh, I don't do this one anymore. But one of the first days, it may have been the first day or second day, first week, um, she's up there. The gavel is really a powerful thing. It's a big, giant piece of wood. It, uh, it does exude the, the power and authority of the office that she sits in. And somebody had taken it. And what you usually do in the prank is you take, you get somebody to take it like a freshman senator. And then you say, okay, put it in Obenshane's desk. And they put it in Obenshane's desk. And when they're not looking, we then take it out of Open Chain's desk and take it back to Travis's desk and hide it in there. Because then the lieutenant governor is alerted to, okay, everybody look in your desk. Yeah. And the guy who thinks Open Chain's going to open it opens up and he has to do the walk of shame giving the and desk back. Well, that. rather than even do that in her first opening, the gavel had been taken. And I swear, Madam President, it was wasn't not you. Me. It was okay. Not me. I've moved on. I'm trying to find new funny stuff. Um, but there, this has now become a tradition. She doesn't miss a beat. She takes off her very nice shoe, and she gaveled us in with her heel. Yeah. And and actually made national news it from made that. made international yeah. news, yeah. So I thought that was just a, a great way to start and, and, and to set a new tone. And so um, I think uh, Travis had the gavel, as a matter of fact. He well, that was the first time. That was actually the second time. Okay. And the only reason I didn't go along was because it was crossover the next day. And crossover means that we've got all these bills that originate in the Senate and the bills that originate in the House of Delegates. They have to cross over to the other house by a certain date. Otherwise, they die. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't afford for that. We had too much work to do. And so when I said, Madam Clerk, where is my gavel? I said, you know what? We don't have time for this. And I reached down, grabbed my shoe, and gaveled us in, and that was all she Here wrote. That was awesome, man. I mean, we were just very, very, very impressed. And that's yeah. how she's handled herself. I mean, I said before we went on, uh, what a snazzy dresser. But also, uh, the decorum uh, that you maintain for us all really matters. And even sticking us to the rules about how we uh, yeah. uh, use the rules of Senate to even speak on the floor. You've been very good about reminding us the right way. And it's just been a huge difference. Well, the clerk helped to train me very well, you know, because Susan Char is a wonderful yes, lady. You can't get into a, this position without understanding what, some of the rules. Uh, Tara Perkinson, she's over there. I graduated high school with her. What is Did her you? position? She's, she's a deputy. deputy. Yeah. She, I graduated high oh, school with her. Sweet, sweet girl. Yeah, yeah. So if you want stories about Hermie, uh -huh. she does. Oh, she okay. Does. Now she I know where to go. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The little rich kid. My mom, <laughs> my mom, all through high school, you know, when you're dating and going to homecoming dances uh -huh. and. My mom would always say, you know, Judge Perkinson's daughter's mighty cute. You know, <laughs> oh, is there a story? But Tara yeah. was uh, way highfalutin as far as in the class. You know, she was either valedictorian or salutatorian. And I she, believe it. She's yeah. very smart. All our clerks yeah. are brilliant. But I, her dad, Judge 
Parkinson, great, great. What he took family. one look at you and say he said, "Ruffian." No she says, "Not here." Much like on the racetrack, you do not qualify. <laughs> get that short guy out of here. But get him look, out of my I, court. I know we get, we're getting ready to to wrap it up, but uh-huh. again, on behalf of myself personally, my family, and the people of Southside Virginia, um, you're the perfect person with mm, it, it, it. Thank you for this job right now and we need you and we appreciate what you're doing well let me tell you what i'm trying to get for you all is broadband 20 years ago when i was in the house of delegates i kept hearing south side and southwest wanted broadband i come back 20 years later and i keep it's the same thing and i'm thinking somebody doesn't care somebody doesn't care about that part of virginia Mm -hmm. and i'm not going to let that happen because you know the lieutenant governor sits on the center for advancement rural advancement and i I went to the first meeting, and I was told, uh, I think it was last month, I was told, you're the first lieutenant governor who's ever come to a meeting. That's that's unacceptable. You see, this is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Somebody should have called the lieutenant governor's previous and said, hey, you're supposed to be here. Why aren't you here? And made a big stink of it. You know, that's what I mean. Hold your elected officials accountable. Now, let me ask you a and question you here. have a, oh. got to extend an invitation to her. All right, Hermie, right. Next time you plan to come to south side virginia and have time to stop by emporia please let us know we'd love to have you as, as our okay. guest he's got good wi-fi at his truck stop <laughs> but you know um and the funny thing is i don't have broadband or wi-fi or internet uh-huh. um we're in my part of franklin county we don't have that wow. we don't have fiber optic cable so you know it, it strikes us everywhere and it's something that has to equalize those areas southwest virginia even the inner cities because that is the new technology for mm-hmm. education as well, and it's mm-hmm. it's another equalizer in it's how we businesses get better. Issue. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got some problems here in America, not just Virginia, but America. We've got to fix them. We can't afford to be at each other's throats like this, and we can't afford to have these rapscallion politicians. Um, you like how I use that word? I do. Yeah. And Rapscallion. she was looking at you me. You might tell me what it means. <laughs> she was looking at me the whole Rag-a-muffins time. Ragamuffins and all that. Yeah, she's um, still looking we, at me. We, <laughs> I'll, I'll do this for you. Like she, she's not looking for you, looking at you for any particular purpose. Okay, yeah. there. I feel better. Yeah. Huh. But, I don't know. That's kind of worse. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, we can't let these politicians lead us astray because they've got theirs. Their children are set. Their children, if they go to public schools, they go to good public schools. I'm got quotation marks around that. They live in gated communities, so they're safe, so they can defund the police all they want to. As they say, um, their businesses are thriving or they have big-time jobs or they don't need jobs, whatever. So um, it's the rest of us, Mm -hmm. you know, that are suffering. And we cannot let these people, again, have us at each other's throats because they win and the rest of us don't. You know, and that's a great point because if you think about what we're doing to ourselves right now, foreign countries, the enemies of our nation, would pay billions, maybe trillions of dollars for a weapon that would separate us from each mm-hmm. other and that would lessen the importance of freedom in our country mm-hmm. because they know that's what binds us together that's yeah. what keeps a great defense for ourselves and we're doing it for free you see you know uh we have a saying in church and it's i may not be what i'm supposed to be but i ain't what i used to be <laughs> and that's america yeah. she may not be what mm-hmm. she's supposed to be but she ain't she ain't what she used to be i'm here I'm here. If you ask the Klan if I'm black, they say, oh, yeah, she's black. She, she's dead. Oh, no, no. She is like 10th degree black. Yes. So let's cut the crap. Let's cut the nonsense. And let's find a way to get along. 
because our country needs us. Amen. That's it. Amen, sister. And now I've got to ask a question because uh, it has been asked. Gina wants to know, how did you get the beautiful name Winston? Beautiful name, yeah. So as as you know, I was born in Jamaica again, and um, it's a known name in Jamaica for a girl. Um, it's originated around the time of Queen Victoria who decided women should have names with meaning. Now, there are previous names like Faith and Chastity, you know, those kind. It's Felicity. So Winsome is that kind of a name. And my my mother's girlfriend uh, is an Indian. And, you know, um, the British Empire took folks from all of its different colonies. And so Indians from India came to Jamaica. Uh, the Chinese, you know, uh, came. Um, also, Jews who were fleeing persecution from the 1500s and even later from Syria came. Everybody comes to Jamaica pretty much. And so our, her, but her, her best girlfriend was Indian and her name was Winsome. And so she gave me that name and it was hell for me. Why? Uh, yes, because I was called everything. Winsong, Wisdom, Winslow, Win, Wilson, whatever, Winnie, Winifred, <laughs> you know. And I threatened, I'm going to change my name as soon as I'm 18. Yeah. But here I am. Winston. You know, if I had done more of that in my career, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Yeah, you would be. Uh, <laughs> Win some. Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, I was Billy during the time of the 70s when there was that song, Billy, Don't Be a Hero, you know, that anti-war oh, yeah, song. yeah, yeah. And so I'd get on a school bus and people would sing it all the time. Or Billie Jean King, you know, when yeah. she was having her heyday. Did you know, I know you say it is Snoopy, but you know his nickname is Q-Tip. Oh. Really? Yeah. Oh boy! He said, oh, there "Got on the bus as a kid, and the bus driver said, well, look yeah. at you! You're like a little cute tip.'" The quick story was: Look, my, it was first day of school. My mom bought uh, baby blue uh, uh, corduroy Levi jeans, a baby blue Izod T-shirt, and brand new white Pumas. And in the '70s, I had an afro. And damn it, if I didn't look like a cute tip. Look at okay? you, little cute. Look like I a mean, looking Q-tip. back on it, I gave that to myself. But that thing, that that dumb nickname, followed me all the way. Every time we moved. Someone would show up and go, "Hey, do you remember? You know what his nickname was yeah, in elementary yeah. school or high school?" And then just, and then, and then I had mm-hmm. it totally capped. When some, I had it totally capped. We started this uh, podcast. Hermie says, "Now, look, Bill, you got to say exactly who you are, give a full history, so people get to know you." So for some reason, I'm on a roll, and I roll out that story that's about so being nicknamed Q-tip. There he is. I go right back to the General <laughs> Assembly, and everybody's calling me Q-tip. Q-tip. I've done it to myself. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. But it's a beautiful name, and. Yeah. You know, well, it means uh, charming and uh, charismatic, and I hope I'm that. So I try to live up to my and, name and much every more, so often. And much more. And it's a real honor to have you on this podcast. Um, you know, you win some, and then you're winsome. And there so, you go. So <laughs> yeah. this has been an amazing interview. I hope, and I know everybody who's going to listen to this is going to love it as much as we, we've loved this time with you. But I can't wait to watch the next three years. Mm. And then the next four years, and because I think uh, I think Virginia would do I'm a gonna lot better. She's going to change the subject. <laughs> I'm going to keep that close to my vest until we make a decision. Well, about well, I tell you what, then if Hermie decides to run for Senate or you decide to run for governor, can you just tell each other so somebody knows? I mean, <laughs> look, I'll get my people in touch with your people. Okay, we're going to keep his people. people keep, yeah, we'll, we'll let his people. You on a need to know basis. And, and right now, Billy. I don't need to know. You right now, you don't need to know. But wouldn't wouldn't you love to have Hermie Sadler in the Senate sitting right next? No, to No, she's me already said Congress. I, I, we couldn't have y'all two sitting no, over there in the no, corner yeah, together. We'd have to separate you. <laughs> oh, that's be no have fun. To separate you. Well, still, but, we would love to have a young. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I'll take out young, uh, small business owners like him uh, that really come with a lot of knowledge. We need that on the Senate floor for sure. For sure, we we need folks who have had to 
take the risks of owning a business, who have had to figure out how are they going to pay their people, understand government regulations, understand overbearing mm -hmm. tax policy. And not scared to speak up. There it is, because if you don't know how to pay you know, your, your people, you don't have a business. If you don't know how to get the customers, you don't have a business, and you don't need the government on your back trying to take away everything that you're trying to work hard for. So there and it again, is. again. All right. I am, a, I am in the Church of Winsome Sears right oh, now, and no, I've no. just closed the hymnal. All right. But ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, what a special moment here for the podcast uh, I can't tell you how thrilled I am that we just have had this great mm -hmm. interview, and I, and I would ask that you come back again because we'll have a lot more to talk about. In fact, we're getting ready to go back to the veto session. The reconvene is what we call it. We've got 26 vetoes, 100 and some odd uh, amendments to I've been polishing my gavel. And her gavel will be working, I can tell you and that. We need a budget at some point, so y'all get to work yeah, on that. That's oh, way over our pay grade. Oh, I'm glad you said that because <laughs> I've got a doozy coming for y'all really? on this budget. Yes, and it's about not getting the job done but i'll talk about that another day wow that's yeah. a teaser isn't yeah. that a teaser yes. ladies yes. and gentlemen you heard it straight from one of the greatest lieutenant governors that the commonwealth of virginia has ever had uh, the honorable madam president winsome earl sears thank you so much for being here thank you thank you both What's and up? my last Our thing yeah. my last thing is to say yes we're democrats and yes we're republicans and greed party libertarians and all that but Remember, we're America. Amen. We are America more than anything. There you go. So we've got to find a way to agree and to then disagree without being disagreeable. Let's be civil. Thus endeth the benefit. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Virginia State Senator <laughs> Bill Stanley. And after this podcast, I'm really leaning right. <laughs> and I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler. And I'm turning left. This has been a great one. We are always powered by Pacematic. We'll see you next week.